Thank you for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is using Adventure Church to speak into your life. If you have a story you'd like to share, please do so at adventure.church slash my story. Also, if you would like to support Adventure Church financially, you can do that online and help us bring messages just like this one to you each and every week. Now let's prepare to hear a word from God. Great to see all of you. Welcome to Adventure Church. If you are new for the first day, I'm Kyle. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, we are going to be diving into a brand new series today that we've called, Is This the End? And today we're going to be talking about the return of Christ. But when we think about the, the end times, right? I mean, when you, <clears throat> depending on your background in church and all those things, like, you know, are we living in the end times? When is the end of the world going to take place with all the evil, the, the terrorism, the crime, just tension, famine, natural disasters, all those types of things that scripturally kind of point us to say, yeah, we're, we are living in the end times. But what does that mean for you and me? What do, do we have to fear it? What do we have to do to be ready for it? And that's kind of the questions we're going to be answering this series. But I remember when 9-11 happened. Uh, I had just moved to Texas uh, just a few weeks before that, in the middle of August, uh, to go to, to school out in the Dallas area. And I got a job working at Brookshire's grocery store, and I was a deli meat clerk. Anyone ever experienced? Great, great experience for me. Uh, lasted one semester, and I quit. But, um, but I had this job, and I remember that morning waking up, and my alarm was going off, and I had like the radio alarm clock. Uh, that was before you had iPhones and all that. So, so it was just my alarm clock's going off, and I could hear on the radio. You know, I, was, I, I intentionally put my alarm clock away from the bed so I would have to get up to turn it off. You know, remember back to college dorms, right? So like I, I'm, I'm, I'm listening, I'm asleep, but I'm listening, I'm like hearing like plane crash in New York and, you know, and I'm like hit a building and in my mind I'm like there was a small plane or something that, you know, crashed while wow, it's crazy and then I keep hearing more and, and, and then I finally like, wow, this is a bigger deal than I thought. I get out of my bed and turn on the television I had, the big box tube that was in my room and I adjust the rabbit ears in my dorm room to get the signal clear and just in time, just a couple minutes later, it was the, the live view of the second plane hitting the, the tower, and I was just going, man, what is going on? And I just remember kind of the, the sense of panic that, that was even happening on campus that day at our school, and I was at a Christian college, and uh, we went into chapel that day. We had chapel, and it was just this real, like, kind of tense and somber, you know, like, thing, like, what is happening? And that night, I had to go to work, and we go into work, and, you know, it's still this kind of chaotic feel is kind of, you know, just around, and I remember the manager of the store, I was, you know, back slicing meat, man, you know, thin slice, thick, medium, you know, how you were shaved, okay, you know, and all of a sudden, the manager comes back, and he's like, we need all of you guys outside, everyone come outside, and I'm like, what is going on, and we get outside, and they had a gas station at that store, and there was cars just for, you know, like, just stacked up trying to get fuel, and in that area, in different areas of the country, they were, they were fuel gauging, you know, they were gouging people and the prices were going up and people were flipping out. They were in lines, they had cans, they had gallon things. And and so they needed us to direct traffic. And we literally ran out of gas. They were out and we were turning people away. And, and I remember like getting in my car with my, one of the guys who lived on my hall who was working there with me, we're driving back. And I was just remembering like, man, the sense of like panic and like, man, is this really like happening? Is this kind of the beginning of what could be the end, 
And that was a real question and a real thought and a real feeling. And we still today face those types of situations and things that happen in our world and culture where we go, man, what is going on in our world? What is happening? And a lot of weird people have tried to predict when the actual end will happen, when it will be, right? How many of you remember the Mayan calendar back a few years ago, right? And it was like December 21st, 2012 was like the Mayan calendar said the world was going to end. Well, they were wrong, right? Here we are. And a lot of people have tried to predict it. And Jesus himself said, no one knows, you know. I don't know. God will tell Jesus. He said, the Father will tell me when to go, and when he does, I'll go. And until then, you know, what do we do? How do we live? How does that affect us? And then how how will the world end? Will it be this apocalyptic war or floods or destroyed by a meteor, seared by the sun, taken over by aliens? I tend to, you know, agree with a small but reputable group of people that believe Planet of the Apes was prophetic in nature and that the world's going to be taken over by apes. And so we'll just see kind of how that plays out. But uh, just kidding. Don't email me. All right. You know, we're going to get into the scripture here. But this series, we're going to be talking about these things. And this will be more of a teaching series in some ways than, than preaching as we kind of lay out the, the foundation today and in the scripture. And listen, if you're not a Christian and you're still trying to kind of kick the tires on this thing called faith and you're like, man, this is a kind of a weird subject for a church to kind of talk about and approach. Yes, it is. But thankfully, the Bible has a lot to say about it. And the Bible is made up of a collection of 66 different books by 40 different authors. Over 20% of the Bible is devoted to prophecy, predicting the future. And the Old Testament prophesied of Jesus' first coming, and they were right. Those authors were right. They predicted that. And the Bible has five times as many prophecies regarding his second coming than the first. And so if they were right about the first, we celebrated Easter, it was predicted that Jesus would come, that he would die, how he would die, that he would be raised alive. Like all of these things were predicted through the prophecies, and they, the Bible has a lot to say about Jesus coming back again. And so we're going to look at Scripture, see what it says. And you may not agree with everything. On some of these issues we'll talk about, there have been sincere, scholarly Christians who have debated these things for years. And, you know, you're probably going to align with, with where we're at on, on some of these things. But if you don't 100% agree with it, that's okay. We don't major on the minors here. We focus on Jesus, his death and resurrection, that no one comes to the Father except through him. And so you can disagree with us on some of these things and still call Adventure Church your home. So this week, as we lay the foundation, next week we're going to talk about heaven, what happens when you die, what will happen then, and then we're going to look at the book of Revelation and take some, some truths out of that as well. So as we dive in today, we're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and this church, what was happening, these were the first century Christians, and they thought Jesus was going to return any day right? Like they were anticipating, they were ready, they were waiting, like literally, like could happen tomorrow, could happen next week. And what was happening is they were beginning to discuss and they were afraid for their loved ones who had already died. Well, what's going to happen to them when Jesus comes back? Are they going to miss out? Are they going to be stuck here? Are we going to go and they're not going to go? And so Paul writes this letter to them to encourage them and begins to help kind of answer this question of what happens when Jesus comes back? What will it be like? 
And so in verse 13, he says, brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. And fall asleep again is those who have died in Christ. And he said, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. So that was Easter, right? So we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Verse 18, therefore, encourage each other with these words. And today, that's what I want to do. I want to encourage you. I don't want you to be weirded out. I don't want you to be scared. I don't want you to walk out of here with more questions, trying to figure out What's going to happen? Is the world going to end? Are we in the end times? I want to encourage you like Paul was encouraging them. And he's telling them three reasons here why we have hope in the end. If this is the end, if we are living in end times, why do we have to worry about it? Why shouldn't we worry about it? Why we have hope? And today I want to give you three reasons why we have hope. The first one is this, is the return. Paul says the return, that Jesus is coming back again. That he is going to come back. John 14, 3 says, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me so you will also be where I am. Listen, this is good news for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus is coming back. This should be something when we talk about it that excites us, that doesn't scare us, that doesn't concern us, that doesn't worry us, that excites us, that God made a promise that Jesus was going to come back and rescue his church. From this crazy world that we live in, from the chaos we live in, from all the stuff that we got to face, that he is going to come back. In the early church, they really looked forward to this. Now, today, we have a lot of different greetings how we greet each other, right? Hello, how are you? What's up? Yo, what's going on? You know, grab this, fist bump, you know, chest bump. We greet each other different ways. And in the early church, they greeted each other with this word, Maranatha. When they would see someone, they'd say, Maranatha. And what that meant was... Lord, our Lord is coming. Our Lord comes back. That Jesus is coming back. That these people were so encouraged that Jesus was coming back, that they held on to that promise, that they longed to be with Jesus again, that whenever they would greet someone, they would encourage them and say, no matter what you're facing today, how are you doing today? Doesn't matter how you're doing. The Lord is going to come back. Be encouraged that you have a hope, that you have a hope that you get to look forward to. In 1 Thessalonians in verse 14, he said, We believe that Jesus died and rose again, so we believe that God will bring with those, bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Fallen asleep again was a poetic way, a metaphoric way of saying those who have died, Christians who have died in Christ, that they will be raised from the dead, that they will rise First, first, in verse 16, he said, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with a voice of the archangel, the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So the, the trumpet sounds. Michael, the, the archangel, will shout out that God is coming back. Here comes Jesus. The greatest victory demands the greatest shout. 
And so the, there'll be a shout, there'll be a trumpet, and the dead in Christ will rise up from the grave. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? That's pretty exciting to think about, that God's going to come back with that kind of power, that the dead in Christ, look, and some people get confused here. This isn't the resurrection of the dead, and we're going to talk about that later. There's going to be two resurrections. The first are Christians who are raised from the dead. The second resurrection of the dead are those who are not Christians. So those who are in Christ will rise from the, the dead, and when we do... We will all face judgment, and next week we're going to talk about this, but I do want to lay a little bit of the foundation about that, that Christians will be judged at what they call the Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ. So this isn't whether or not you are saved. You are saved, you go to heaven, and you are going to be judged according to what you did here on earth of eternal value. That's humbling to me to think about. That I'm not going to stand before God and face judgment for my sins, but I am going to face judgment for how I live my life here on this earth. What did you do for me, Jesus is going to ask, of eternal value that lasted beyond you? And then people who aren't Christian, those who are not in Christ, will face the great white throne judgment. And they're going to be judged based on their works, which is not good enough to get into heaven. And so because they are not in Christ, they will face eternal punishment for the works, for not knowing Christ. And this isn't the fun stuff to preach about, okay? (laughs) Right? But this is the truth. This is the reality that we all are going to die, that we all are going to face judgment. Those who are in Christ are going to face judgment for what they did. What did you do of eternal value? What difference did you make for me on this earth? We're going to answer to God for that. That is very humbling to think about. And I promise you, you're not going to care about anything in that moment other than, man, what did I really do for Jesus? Being able to do that. Then those who are not in Christ, so Christ, we celebrated last week Easter, paid the punishment for us. So when we put our faith in him, we are no longer subject to God's punishment and wrath. We are in Christ, and so we don't face punishment for our sin. But if you die apart from being in relationship with Jesus Christ and receiving what he did for you, you will then face punishment for what you did, for your sins. And the Bible says there's a real place, there's, that just as we look forward to heaven, there is a place called hell that those who are separated from God will spend eternity away from him. Revelation 20 verse 6 says, Blessed and holy are those who have part, who have part in the first resurrection, knowing Christ, rising in him. The second death will have no power over them. So if you're born only once, you die twice. But if you're born twice, you only die once. What that means is, is that when you are physically born, and you maybe have heard this phrase before in, in the church world, that when someone receives Christ, they're born again, right? They're reborn. I got born again. And the Bible talks about a spiritual birth where the old is gone and, and the new life comes. So if you are only born once, you will die twice. But if you are born again, you're born twice, you don't have to fear death. You only die once. How many of you remember a couple years ago the, the YOLO, right? Hashtag YOLO. You only live once, right? It's usually something you would put up right before you did something stupid, right? You would say, hey, you only live once, you know? But how amazing is it for those that are in Christ where we go, man, you only have to die once. You will die a physical death, but your spirit will be with God forever. You don't have to fear death because you are in Christ Jesus. And so 
Scripture is clear that Jesus will return. He is coming back again. And this should be something that excites us, that encourages us, that doesn't scare us. And then we have the rapture. So we have the return, then we have the rapture. This is where living Christians will be taken away. 1 Thessalonians verse, chapter 4, verse 17, And after that, though, after those who are dead in Christ rise, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. How amazing is that? Think about that. That if you are still living when the rapture happens, that you are going to elevate, lift up out of this world, and rise and meet Jesus, the Son of God, the one we worship here this morning. We are going to meet him face to face in the air. That's incredible. That's pretty amazing that we get to do that. That word caught up in the Greek is harpazo. It means to seize, to, to catch, to take away to safety, to be rescued. And that's exactly what's going to happen. That Jesus is going to come back and rescue his church. He's going to rescue you from this world, the cares of this world, the the sickness, all the things that we face, the sin. He is going to rescue us. And so all Christians believe this. There's no debate over Jesus' return. It's very clear and evident in Scripture. But there is question about when it will happen. When it will happen. So you have people who are the the pre-tribulation. So when Jesus comes back, there's going to be in the end, there's going to be seven years of tribulation. We're going to talk about that the third week of this series when we look at the book of Revelation a little bit. So there's going to be the seven years of tribulation. Very difficult time for those who are left here on this earth. And so there's people who believe that, that Jesus is going to come back and rapture the church pre-tribulation. That the Christians are going to be rescued before this happens. Then you have mid-trib people who believe it's going to happen in the middle of the tribulation. And then you have post-trib. And this is after the tribulation is over after the seven years of tribulation. Then you have the fourth group of people, pan-trib, and they say, I don't really know, but it's all going to pan out in the end, right? <laughs> the pan-trib people. So you, the most common belief and, and what we align to here at Adventure Church and where we believe Scripture is and, and the network of churches we're associated with is the pre-tribulation is more accurate, that God is loving and, and scripture points to that God will rescue his kids before the tribulation. In Titus 2.13, we believe this is what Paul meant when he referred to the blessed hope. He said, we look forward with hope to the wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. And so if we had to face tribulation, there wouldn't be much of the hope that we would see. So there's a blessed hope that Paul mentions. And pre-trib also best satisfies the biblical teaching that the rapture is always imminent and it could happen at any time and we have no immediate warning or announcement. So if it's mid-trib, right, you would know. Like, and we're going to know when we're in the tribulation. It's going to be evident. And we'll talk about that. But we'll know we're in the tribulation. There's not going to be a question of that. And so if it's mid, we kind of know when it's coming. And if it's at the end, we know when it's coming. And so we believe it will happen before because Jesus said in Matthew 24, 39 through 41, in verse 44, that he said, this is how it will, will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in a field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken, the other left. Verse 44, so you must always be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. And think about that, that two people will be working together. One will be taken, who those are in Christ, and those who 
do not know Christ will be left behind to face the tribulation. And it'll be a very difficult time. And so, you know, two people are in a cubicle, two people are in a car, families are eating meals, that, that when the rapture happens, that trumpet sounds, the shout, that those who are in Christ will, will be raptured, will meet him in the air. So what does that mean? And he, Paul, Jesus said this, so, so no one knows when. No one knows when it's going to happen, so just be ready. Just be ready. Be ready for whenever it's going to happen. Be sold out to God. Live for things that matter. Be invested in God's kingdom and be prepared that Jesus is coming back. And that's a good thing. That's a positive thing. Well, someone's excited that the Lord is coming back. And we're going to talk about this in just a second. But he says this, behold, I come like a thief. Revelation 16, a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake, keeps his clothes with him, so he may not go naked and shamefully exposed. That's in the Bible. Keep your clothes on. Stay with you, right? I don't want to be floating up to heaven, you know. Keep a towel close by if you're in the shower. I don't know. I don't know how it's all going to work out. And I think maybe, maybe that this was metaphoric in some ways. But, but I used to tell students this all the time, you know. It's kind of like, you know, would you want to be caught doing that when Jesus comes back? That's what he's kind of saying. Be ready. What, what, where do you want to be? How do you want to, How can you be prepared for that? He is coming back. Are you ready when he does is what we should be focused on. So we have the, the rapture, the return of Jesus. We have the rapture. And then Paul talks about the reunion, that Christians will be reunited with Jesus, will be with God forever. After that, we who are still alive and our left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with this amazing news that we have, that we will get to be with Jesus forever, that you will get to meet the Lord face to face. The one that you worshiped this morning, you will get to worship in his presence. You will get to be with him forever. There'll be no more sin, no more pain, no more heartache, no more disease, no more cancer, no more divorce, no more death, no more hunger. All of these things, we get to be with the Lord forever in paradise with him. That is amazing news that we have for God's people that we get to be with Jesus forever. And we'll talk more about heaven next week. And I think the problem is, is that, that we forget about this good news. What should we do with this good news? If we are living in the end times, how does it change the way we live? How are we encouraging one another? How are we sharing this good news with others that he's coming back, that we're going to be with him forever? When I grew up in church, they would say things like this all the time. Even so, Lord Jesus come. Even so, Lord, Jesus come. No matter what you were facing, if it was a good, the bad, whatever it is, God, even so, Lord, come. You know, right before you're about to beat your child, you say, oh, Jesus, even so, Lord, come. You better rescue this child, right? You better save this person, right? Even so, Lord, come, no matter what we're facing. And I can remember thinking back when, when you know, I was in, in high school and, and hearing a pastor preach about the rapture and that Jesus was coming back, and I'd be like, Hey, hey, Jesus, can, can we just hold off until I get married? You know, I'm a Christian. I've been kind of withholding some things, you know. You know, then I finally meet Jess, and, and we were pure, and, and, you know, and I was a Christian, okay? 
Okay? Okay? You know, so there are certain things that Christians don't do before they get married that I was really looking forward to getting to do once I got married. And I was saying, oh Lord, can we just hold off? I'm three months away. And then it's, oh Lord, I'm going to have kids and I want to have children. And can we just wait till I have kids? And, and those are all good things that we should get to enjoy and, and, and look forward to. But I think sometimes we forget that we get to be with Jesus. That when he comes back, we're not going to want to come back here. When you get to heaven, there's going to be no thing like, oh, I wish I could go back to earth. You're not going to want to come back. You're going to be in his presence forever. We're, we, we can't even, we can't wrap our minds around eternity. We can't wrap our minds around what it means to live in a body that's fully healthy, that where there's no sin, where there's no sickness, where there's no more pain and depression and anxiety and worry, that we get to be in that presence. I promise you, you're not going to want to come back. You're going to be thankful that you're there. You're going to be excited that you get to worship Jesus. And I think sometimes we get so caught up in this world and what this world tells you is important that we forget about what it's going to mean when we get there and we long for the things of this world and we become content with this world more than we do of being with Jesus, of going to heaven, of spending eternity with him. I think that's the question we have to ask ourselves. Do you love this world and the things that it offers more than what God is promising you? What are you longing for? What is your desire with the promise of God? Even so, Lord, come. Longing to be with Jesus. Longing to be in heaven. So what's the application today? What do we do with this truth? How does this change the way we live? Knowing what we know, that Jesus is going to come back, he will return. The rapture will take place. Those who are in Christ will go. Those who are not will be left behind. They will face a great tribulation. Judgment will be difficult. But those who are in Christ will then be reunited with him forever. The promise that we have. So what do we do with this? How does this apply to our lives today? And the Apostle Paul gives us some further instruction in 1 Corinthians Chapter 15, in verse, starting in verse 51, he said this, Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. We will not all die. But we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, here he is talking about these same events, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, or, I'm sorry, if the last trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable and will be changed forever. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immorality. That's pretty cool too. Think about that. This body you got now is going to be perfected in some way. How many of you are thankful you're going to get a new body, right? There are going to be no such thing as calories in heaven. Amen, right? That we get this new body that, that will be changed. And he says, then the saying that it is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? 
So he says here, he's describing again, this is what's going to happen. The rapture is going to take place. You're going to be new. You're going to have a new body. We're going to be with God forever. And he says, thank God for that verse seven. Let's, let's thank God. Let's worship him for the victory that we have through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because of Easter, what we celebrated last week, we have this blessed hope, this assurance that we have in the promises of God. He says, then he goes, therefore, verse 58, this is the application. So knowing what you know, you've been enlightened with the truth this morning. You know the truth of what's going to happen. He says, therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. When you know this truth, you stand firm on this truth. You don't let anything move you. You don't let this world move you. You don't allow other things. You don't put your hope in other things. You keep your hope in Jesus. You stand firm in that truth. And you devote yourself to living for what matters the most. You begin to live for eternity. That we have victory. We stand firm. Nothing moves us. And we fully give ourselves to the work of the Lord. Because he says, because what you do for God is never in vain because it's eternal. It goes on with you. What you invest in people, what you invest in the kingdom of God, that lives on. All this other stuff doesn't last. Reality is saying life is short, eternity is long, so live for eternity right now. Paul says your life is a vapor, it's a mist. It's here a minute, gone the next, but how many of us get caught up in the mist? That we live for the temporary We get caught up in the moment. We have no eternal perspective on life. And so we don't live our lives with the urgency that we would, we should have. That if you truly believe this, it should change the way that you live. That he is going to come back and he desires to come back. That the return of Christ is going to happen. And if we truly believe that, I think we would live every day like it's our last. Because it could be. He could come back. So are we living for things that matter in eternity, or are we not? Are you living for the one who's coming back, are you not? The band's coming, we're going to close out. When my kids were little, they still play a little bit with blocks, but they, want, they always build things with blocks. And so we had like Lincoln Logs and then just those big like Lego blocks that you would build. And so... I always enjoyed, you know, getting to build blocks with the kids. And so, you know, we build some pretty nice stuff, you know, big house and things. And, you know, we'd get done. I'd be like, man, this look awesome. You know, look at the Lincoln logs and all this stuff. And this is a sweet thing. And then I would try to, to, to get it in the place that it would be secure from them destroying it, right? Because my kids would build block houses and things with the sole purpose of tearing them back down just to destroy it. I'd say... No, 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 kids, look at this. Dad created a masterpiece here. We have to value this. We have to, we have to keep this safe. You don't just tear it. They just wanted to build something so they could literally tear it back down. And why do kids do that? Here's, here's what I think. One, kids are smart. And what they've realized is, is that that block thing is very temporary. It's just very temporary. We build it to knock it down. And we'll build another one. It's all temporary. And so they can build different things, tear them back down. But how many of us in our life, we do that? They know it's temporary, but we do that. You know, we, we, we build a house. We build our career. 
We build all these things that are all temporary, but we want them to be secure. We want them to last and we build up our retirement. And those are all things you should do. But we build all these blocks and all these things and get our kids into these schools and get them to these activities. And we build all this stuff and we're busy and we're laboring. But Paul says, you're laboring in vain because all that stuff, it's like a block house. One day when, when the end happens, it'll be gone. Your house, your cars, your bank accounts, all of it, gone. No value to you, zero. And you will stand before God and give an account for what you labored for. And if all we did was labor for ourselves and our homes and our families and all this stuff and we do nothing of eternal value, we're gonna be shamed and embarrassed before Jesus for what we did with what he gave us. So the take home value today for this is this is the end. When it will happen, no one knows. But be ready, be ready, be right with God. Give yourself fully to him and then give yourself fully to things that matter the most. So are you caught up in living for things that don't matter? Are you investing your best where it matters most? Are you committed to just remain passive about this reality this morning, this truth this morning? Or are we longing to be with Jesus and leveraging what we have to help others know this truth that we know? See, the Bible goes on to say that God isn't being slow in his return. They were waiting for Jesus, we're still waiting for Jesus, and he goes, he's not being slow. One, God's on a different timetable than you and I, right? He is in eternity, so there's no concept of time. But he says, the reason I delay coming back is because my will is that no one will perish. Jesus' heart has always been for his kids. And he's saying, I delay my return because I want every one of my children to have an opportunity to know me. So when that day comes, they're in, they're with me. But there's thousands, millions of people living in this world who are not with Christ. And when their number is called and they face judgment, they'll face judgment. And God's going, I'm waiting as long as I can. I'm holding back as long as I can so that all will have an opportunity. You see, when you really believe something, it changes the way that you live, right? It should, if you really believe something, it changes everything for you. If you believe something's gonna lead to destruction in your life and for your family and if your kids do something, it's gonna lead them to, you're gonna change whatever that is to keep it from happening. When you really buy into something, it changes the way you live. And that's what you gotta really ask yourself. And I have to ask myself, if I really believe this, that Jesus is gonna come back, what an awesome promise for me. What an awesome hope that I have. So my hope is in that. I'm not longing for the things of this world. I'm longing to be with Jesus. Is it changing the way I live? Is it changing the way I worship? Is it changing where I invest my time? Is it changing where I invest my resources? Is it changing how I leverage what God has given me? 
What am I doing with what God is giving me, knowing that I'm going to stand account before a holy God someday who willingly gave his life for me, and he's going to ask me, what did you do with that truth? Will I be able to say, God, I gave everything. You gave everything for me, Lord. I gave everything I had to you. I leveraged to the best of my ability what I had. It's easy to get caught up in the things of this world. I'm guilty of it. You're guilty of it. And our focus can get pulled away from what really matters. What matters is eternity. The only thing on this side of heaven that will live on in eternity are the people that we do life with. Your family, your friends, your neighbors. The theme over the last, the beginning of this year, and it wasn't strategic necessarily, but I believe it's what the Holy Spirit has been reinforcing through Adventure Church, through our follow series, through Love Thy Neighbor series, and even through Is This the End? As we answer these tough questions, it comes back to this. What's the take-home value? Live for what matters. Invest in what matters. Don't get caught up in this stuff. Paul says, don't be immovable. Stand firm. Let nothing move you from this truth. And labor. Work fully for the Lord with all that you have so that you won't labor in vain. You see, you can't take anything with you from this world but people. That's it. So what are we doing that will last forever? What are you doing for God? What are you doing for his people? Would you stand with me? And we're gonna sing a song together today and close out. But today I hope, one, that you were encouraged as we dive into this a little bit. There's nothing that you have to be afraid of if you're in Christ, nothing. You have nothing to fear. God loves you. He's going to take care of you. In the end, it's all going to work out. So be encouraged. Be hopeful today. No matter what you face, you have hope because of that promise of God. It should excite us. It should motivate us. But it should challenge us to ask ourselves that question. Am I really living for what matters? Because someday you're going to have to answer that question before Jesus. And my prayer for my life is that I'll be able to say, God, I did everything I could to help people know you. You delayed your return so that the people in our community, in our neighborhoods, in our careers would have an opportunity to receive that truth. God, I gave my best where it mattered most. Lord, I pray today that you would help all of us come to grips with that reality, that truth, that life is short, that eternity is long. And Lord, what we do here in the meantime matters significantly in eternity. And God, your desire is for us to not be afraid, but to hope in you, to rest in you, to know that we are secure in you. But God, your desire is that all would have an opportunity to know you, to rest in that truth. And so Lord, as we worship you, Here in a moment, God, may we reflect that forever we will be with you because you defeated death and the grave and you are coming back, that we have hope, that we have purpose, that our lives mean something of significance. And God, that we would be challenged to live our lives in a way that's worthy of your death and that others would come to know who you are and the hope that they have in you through us. In Jesus' name.